the other one. There we I, go. And see, that's one of the problems with like coding and language. I just want to throw out that it is amazing that Ren listens to this kind of garbage before we start. Gay Space Communism, yes. the only podcast whose first duty is to the truth, whether scientific truth or historical truth or personal truth. It's the guiding principle on which this podcast is based. And if you can't find it within yourself to stand up and tell the truth about how great this show is on every medium you can find it, you don't deserve to wear this uniform. I'm Paul Byron. You know me. I did a thing. I'm Rachel Kahn, and we are like one fair and balanced away from being a fascist news organization right now. There is no such thing as truth. <laughs> I'm Corey well, we're Archibald. We're going to fight about that all day. <laughs> I'm Amy Hassel, and I just want to say one of the one of the truths is that Rin is an absolute angel. That's maybe the only truth. That is definitely a truth. Oh, and, and once again, we're all in our finest back zip dress uniforms because look who it is. It's a visiting admiral. Admiral. I mean, Adriel. Not admiral at all. Oh, hello. Stand in. Uh, what is it? At ease. Huh? Uh, yeah. At, at, th thank you, sir. Uh, please introduce. Tell, tell the world who you are. They, they should know, but it always sounds better when you say it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's great to be here. I'm Adriel Hampton. I am uh, a campaign strategist uh, based in California and also a candidate for governor of California in 2022, running on the Star Trek line. Nice. Nice. Now, what, uh, can you unpack a little more about what a Star Trek line is as a, gov as a governor's strategy? Because I understand y'all have had a total recall president already. And I mean, <laughs> a, bedtime, a, a bedtime for Bonzo president. So what does a Star Trek president look like? Or governor, rather. I really like the positive modern version of utopian socialism. And I think Star Trek is, you know, one potential future for something like that. Back in San Francisco several years ago, I started something called the San Francisco Tech Democrats. And the idea was that like technology can be used to make our lives better or it can be used, you know, by people like Jeff Bezos to squeeze more and more profit out of labor, which would be like the uh, anti Star Trek version or the fascist version of a tech future. We call that the expanse. You're saying that's bad? Yeah, I'm saying that's bad. And, huh. uh, you know, and, and I think it's interesting, Star Trek, because you compare it to like something like the future scene in a movie like Blade Runner, or you compare it to like the Star Wars universe. And you can quickly see, like, do you want to be in a future galaxy where everyone's fighting all the time against uh, evil empire, you know, which is kind of where we are today in Earth? No, no, we seem, it seems like it's going fine. I was to understand. No, no, the prime directive would prevent someone helping us. It's a well-established fact. I was also thinking a lot about when the different Star Trek series came out. And I was a teenager when The Next Generation came out, like Gen X were all teenagers during The Next Generation. And it was the Star Trek, you know, one, it was like a resurrection of the series after decades. Two, it really presented a post-scarcity future where you have like a replicator that can take your poop and turn it into anything you want. And, you know, while you have to get your head around that, post-scarcity is a beautiful way to look at the future and a beautiful thing to fight for. So I'd say that like my 22 gubernatorial run is like, we're looking at also historical models like Upton Sinclair's In Poverty in California campaign, but basically saying that we could have a future of free-flowing abundance. I'm a big fan of the podcast uh, Seriously Wrong out of Canada that talks about uh, library socialism, where what if you just had everything that you might want was in the library and you could just borrow it and use it for as long as you needed oh, I'm it. I'm here for this. Yeah, it's a tool bank and it's a, a library and other resources just sort of, they're there. Yeah. 
Well, I don't need my own lawnmower for the most part. Like, I mean, I don't want a lawn to begin with, but yeah. I mean, hell, how often do you really need your own car? <laughs> what if they all had their collection of inside? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I, my solution to that has already been trains. So, like, we don't have to deal with the cars part because just yeah. put everything together, put it on rails next to each other, and have big buildings that go back and forth between. Oh no. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, Adriel, that sounds like why we've had you here because you're that is that's us. That's this. We like to start, of course, usually kick off with talking about what we've been watching lately. And I uh, honestly, I have gotten through all the Trek and I uh, just recently rewatched the motion picture again in anticipation of my Star Trek. The motion picture is a Christmas movie special. I have five pages of time stamped notes. Y'all are going to. Oh, hate my them. God. Yeah. <laughs> but you're going to believe um, so that's me. I love you, Paul. Somebody's got it. I love gotta. you so. You know, I, I'm generous with my love. Let's well, post scarcity. Love is technically not a scarce resource. It's just. No, you. but time, time is. Time is maybe the only truly finite resource we have available to us. So thank you, listeners, for spending your time with us. Yeah. Donate to our oh. Patreon. <laughs> Patreon.com slash not safe. We work it in whenever we can, y'all. Speaking of wasting time with science fiction, Adriel, what do you what have you been kicking around in the old TV box? The last thing I watched was the second season of uh, Love, Death, and Robots. I really liked the first one on Netflix. It reminds me a little bit of like uh, something like was it Animatrix that had all the vignettes of the Matrix world and this. Yeah, and they did this one, one for Blade Runner twenty forty nine too, I think. Mm, yeah, yeah. I have not uh, watched Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Is it is it good? The no, cartoon? it's fine. It's pretty pictures. The cartoons between are cool. The other one, and it's not. They no. Yeah, they retcon a lot of shit. It's weird. I don't know. Other yeah, people might have opinions. I I thought it was pretty. I enjoyed it. Still, I haven't seen Love, Death, and Robots yet. Is it is it animated or live action? Yeah, it's all animated. Very different styles of animation. The first season, I think, has something close to twenty episodes. The second is just eight, and like three of them are set in space or different worlds, and then some of them are just futuristic worlds. It's pretty dark, pretty grim, but I liked. The new episodes, they were all, they're interesting. The animation styles were really fun. And one of them was a science fiction story I'd read before about a uh, future where they're like, they kill unlicensed kids because they're not, they're not like zero population growth. Very, very dark story, obviously, but. Um, uh, everybody loves eco-fascism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, not utopian. It was definitely not a utopian set of stories in Love and Robots. Love, Death, and Robots. There are some positive notes in the first series as anthologies, but it's, it is like, yeah, I thought the one where the, there's three robots wandering the apocalyptic post-human world. That was like, fun. Oh, that's nice. And that's like, it's really dark, but it's approached with enough humor that you're not like, it's not doom and gloom the whole run, but there is a lot of like Black Mirror. Yeah, I know. It's awful now, though, kind of science fiction. Yeah, right. I know. We need some utopian escapist fantasy, not. Uh... Like, I live in the Handmaid's, Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> I don't have to watch. She wrote that 30 years ago about now. Like, right. Right. About then. Anyway. Well, we talk about this a lot on the pod. We talk about, and, and you were getting to this point earlier, talking about why you're running on the Star Trek line, is that it's really, it's the only science fiction franchise that I can think of, uh, and I'm not counting the Orville because I'm just not, but it's the only one I can think of that presents kind of a positive vision for what our future could be, as opposed to this dystopian hellscape that every other science fiction movie and show has predicted for us. Yeah, I'm always sitting around thinking that you have some of these guys like Musk and Bezos like recreating like bad 
DC comic books. You know, they want one of these worlds just industrial. No, for real, he's bald. Like, dude, buy hair. Elon bought hair. Buy hair. (laughs) Their hairlines are in the same place. That's the thing. Jeff Bezos is so rich, he doesn't give a shit that he's bald. (laughs) No, he's just like, I'm going to burn the concept of hair to the ground. We're not doing this anymore. (laughs) And that's why he bought The Expanse. God. Well, because it's the future he wants, you know? He is Jules Pierre Mao. Like, that's that's the nature of his real-life character. Like, of course he fetishizes that shit. For him, it's a utopia. Exactly. It's the, I can do whatever the fuck I want utopia. Anyway, I don't think highly of Jeff Bezos. I don't know if y'all knew this about me. <laughs> I feel like this podcast is not going to have had that problem. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so either. I do think it's kind of interrelating with that, right? Like, there's been a Star Trek resurgence over the last couple of years, too. And I think it's because, like, there is that sort of collective generational lust for a vision of something that's better instead of worse. You know, like, 9-11 happened and everything got worse and everything's continued to get worse. And all of the media got worse. And everybody's ideas about the future got worse. And I think that now we're at this sort of, like, bottoming out point where we're just tired of it you know we want that utopian vision we want to believe in something bigger and possible and i think that's sort of the same energy behind like the bernie sanders campaign for sure or you know maybe behind adriel's gubernatorial campaign hey i'm here for it are we gonna talk more about who's watching what yeah i want to hear the rest of y'all what's what's the yeah let's let's see what let's see what insightful nonsense is in your recently watched Corey, you were you were chewing through the movies right no, I'm done with the movies. I blasted through those finally. It was it was hard to get through that first one. So for recap. But then uh, it's just four more of them everyone. that are the increasingly yeah. elderly people trying to be action stars on increasingly yeah, exactly. small budgets. No, I'm uh, so so I've been, as you all know, for months working through a chronological viewing of all Trek. And um, I, I made through Enterprise, through original series, animated series, made it through all the movies. Then I started Next Generation. I'm actually almost done with Next Generation. And there's uh, the, the guide that I'm following has you overlap the last two and a half seasons of Next Generation with the first two seasons of Deep Space Nine. So I've been kind of bouncing back and forth between those two just to kind of watch everything in order. And that's been it's been interesting because like none of this is new to me at this point i've watched all of it but been interesting to go back with time to kind of process oh that would have been weird though i mean like hey come on a star trek podcast you're like what's that it's a tv show you'll (laughs) love it well that's what (laughs) that's what kennedy and grav just did to me on power rangers (laughs) they somehow talked me into it and i did you know, I had a similar experience on Sentai Truther Club, which was I got in there the first time we recorded it. I was glad that we somehow like the files got corrupted because it meant I could re-record it because I got in there and I was like, yeah, I watched them. And I was like, oh, I'm so unprepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so apart from apart from my like little crash course viewing of a few Power Rangers episodes for the uh, Sentai Truther Club podcast, that's what I've been doing is chewing through Next Generation, uh, a rewatch of Next Generation and the first couple seasons of Deep Space Nine. So, so there's a lot of there's a lot of people with sparking consoles and brightly colored uniforms. So it pretty much is the same show. Yeah, pretty um, much. That, that's not true. They, they often don't beat up the guy in Star Trek, but sometimes they do. Amy, what do you you're on? You've been on a road trip, eh, Amy? Um, yeah, so uh, I apologize for the engine in the background. Um, New Mexico has a healthy car culture. 
but <laughs> found the problem with that sentence did you kids um. <laughs> but let's see most of my viewing could be classified top secret for a future episode we're going to do on transcoded narratives in star trek so i won't talk about any of that but some of y'all <laughs> know exactly which episodes those are already <laughs> yeah. but don't worry we got a whole thing planned I may have a couple surprises for everyone. I'm thinking specifically of some Voyager episodes. Fake ears? <laughs> but I have also been um, watching through again Winona Earp, which is like a super cheesy sci-fi show that I happen to adore. And um, I've discovered that the younger sister in that show, Waverly Earp, is definitely a transcoded narrative or transcoded character. And I'll be willing to explain that to anyone that asks. <laughs> We'll have to do that on one of our but Patreon later. episodes. <laughs> yeah, one of our various Patreon episodes where we talk about all of the many other science fiction shows we watch, uh, which is a great segue for me to explain why I've been off task, because I've been watching uh, Westworld. Ah, Michael Crichton's first book about an uh, amusement park that went all weird. Yes. The first season of Westworld is a masterpiece. The second season is a passable continuation of the narrative. And the third season is just trash. Like <laughs> I've hated every part of the third season pretty much without exception. However, it does give me a useful thing to sort of tie back into future tech and specifically Star Trek Discovery, which is this weird obsession people suddenly have in science fiction shows with doing like transparent phones and tablets and screens generally. And I'm like, okay, first of all, a transparent screen is an accessibility nightmare. Like, just absolute nightmare. Terrible plan to do a transparent screen. Second of all, like, do you really want somebody to be able to see what you're doing from the other side of your phone? Like, your mom kicks the door open and sees, like, whatever crazy, like, completely immoral pornography you were just watching in full but mirrored no no one wants this this is a terrible idea it's ill-conceived it's aesthetically displeasing it's an accessibility nightmare and i want to know who started this trend so that i can slap them people like me that can read backwards on the fly yeah nobody wants this yeah well, if it's our fans, they're probably looking at Klingon double penises, you know? Right. Well, that's what I'm saying, though. I mean, like, you could just do or be whatever. It doesn't have to be like this. You could just have, like, an ultra-thin screen that's still opaque on one side. Like, I don't know. It just It's this trend I've been noticing in sci-fi, and Discovery is guilty of it. And I have questions, and I have demands. I mean... To be fair, it is a super easy way to, or a super low budget way to make something look super futuristic. And it's boring to look at yes. somebody look at a phone. Like, I mean, Sherlock was one of the shows I thought did this really well, where like their text exchanges appear over the characters' hands while they look at their phones in the normal frame. And you're like, thank yeah. you. This is the normal way to get this across. I pre And like, so there's only a couple ways to do this that aren't tedious. That being said, we're here to talk about something else. And we're going to talk about truth, epistemology, yeah. and Star Trek. And this is going to be a big one. It might become seven or eight episodes because a lot of this is about a lot of things. But ultimately, we're talking like I mean, Star Trek posits a society where a method of reaching consensus truth and scientific and sort of, yeah, a base reality is apparently possible, right? The McKee, the major political dissidents, they agree with the situation. They just think it's fucked, right? Like they it is not the same scenario. And we sort of, it seems to be one of the guiding overall principles of Star Trek is that there 
there is various versions of, as Picard says, scientific, historical, person, and personal truth being included gives you a lot of leeway to do a lot of subjectivity. But like, does that work? I mean, yeah. Right. And so you're speaking like, as opposed to the current conditions we have where there's an entire weird cult of Fox News that believes in like tinfoil hat QAnon conspiracy theories. Well, I mean, it need not necessarily be that, right? Because it's a lot about uh, media funneling, like a lot of the way that yeah, those, yeah. the reason those things get prominent on places like YouTube is because, all right, well, there's nowhere else I can get flat earth content. So I'm going to stay on the website. And now right. I that will mean they want me to do that because they have every incentive to keep me on the website. Adriel, you seem to have some experience about this. Would you like to speak up? <laughs> given, uh. given you like, I mean, you've played this exact game. So yeah, like... Yeah, uh, talk I to, mean, tell us about the troll, the troll pack, and other things that yeah, sort of guests may not be aware of. We will link to uh, some of your contact details and such so that they can get a hold of that in the show notes. But break it down for them. Yes, well, like Starfleet, troll pack was born in San Francisco at uh, <laughs> the just the guy from Mash hanging around being the old caretaker. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of the best place to start, but I, I guess social media has has exactly created what you're talking about, like these these rabbit holes that giant tech companies want you to stay in. And one of the biggest rabbit holes that we're dealing with currently is the, you know, nearly half the population who think that Donald Trump is still president uh, or was robbed in his election in November. And back in 2019, I was just, this is like the most viral moment that I've had was related to false advertising on Facebook. And this was really big in 2019 related to Hunter Biden and Ukraine and Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump. And they were attacking Joe Biden with Facebook ads that contained like just patent falsehoods and accusations. And Facebook has this weird thing like, I don't know who maintains the kind of the big truth because uh, in Star Trek here we have a lot of people who believe in the big lie and that's you know Trump saying that that the election was stolen from him and it's wild because even with social media platforms knocking the guy off their platforms he has his own website where he publishes stuff and then fact checkers go and fact check that website and push their fact checks back into mainstream social media. So it's, it's all like very strange. But face check, uh, face check, Facebook has its own program of fact checking and its own, they pay journalists and researchers and technologists to basically monitor trending stories on Facebook. And if they are false, to publish that and to basically label and deplatform false posts and uh, images, right. etc. And you're saying this process may not be as robust as a society might hope for, it sounds like? Well, I, yeah, I mean, the first problem with it is like, I, I believe in society and I don't believe in Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg, right? I haven't subscribed to Facebook saying that it should be the arbiter of truth, but it believes that it is. And in the absence of a society that believes in truth, which I don't think we have right now, I don't think that there's really any kind kind of strong movement for truth. Although there's plenty of people out there working on anti-disinformation campaigns, there isn't a like, legislative body, for example, that sets standards for social media. There isn't a commission that sets standards for social media. There are bodies that can take action like the FEC or the FCC. But when it comes to political statements, they really do not 
Well, all those laws that sort of govern the way that works were drafted in a way that creates massive safe havens for, I mean, the DMCA takedown process absolutely disfavors small creators. It disfavors fair use rules. It disfavors a whole lot of legitimate use cases because it is simply easier for YouTube to say, all right, we're good. We're just going to take it down because someone asked, even if just a bot trolls through and finds a review of a thing that matches mm -hmm. even a little bit of the audio. Right. They're not looking at, at fair use. And also these laws were all the laws that are being applied now were all created before social media was a big thing and before every American like had a Facebook account and you know oh, yeah the context of this is there are some message boards where some people are posting content that like people at host are like do I have to like read every post and make sure there's not titties or something in there good Christ I'm never going to be able to run a <laughs> message board again and this is like a legitimate sort of admin concern but at this point it is a very different environment than when those rules were set up and the systems that have come in their wake and yeah right some of the most profitable corporations in the world are the ones doing this not your you know volunteer message board operator yeah and like it is there are definitely questions of all right well speech you're responsible for but still no we had this discussion on one of the earlier episodes where we were talking about the uh, bell riots in deep space nine and there's that moment where it's essentially the the protesters are able to get their message out to the world because jadzia woos and wins over the favor of uh, of someone who controls um the uh, internet I, <laughs> i'm sorry you mean chris brenner of brenner information yes. systems Exactly. And so we were we were musing about whether or not it was the intention. Oh, that Chris Brenner. Yeah, keeping in mind that this was an episode that aired in the 90s when the internet was still very young, at least for commercial purposes. We were musing about whether or not it was the intention of the writers to say that, you know, it's better for the internet to stay in private hands so that the government can't unilaterally use it to suppress speech by cutting off access or is that a, an argument in favor of what for we all believe that it, the internet should be a, a public utility and, and freely available to all and you know understanding that having um, you know private corporations make decisions about who gets to talk about what is is inherently problematic as well like I don't know if you have any thoughts around that in general that you'd like to share yeah, I was just trying to remember if I've seen that episode. I think I did it's uh, the because it's people the, were pointing to it's a time, yeah, time travel incursion. Yeah. So it starts with the uh, the, the sort of yeah. dragnet time guys coming into question uh, Cisco about why he's in every history book. <laughs> yeah, they someone flagged that to me based on the stuff I was um, doing based on, on it Facebook. Being September first, twenty twenty four. Keep an eye Gene. out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, decentralization is, is what has to happen, right? And this is why, like, social ecology is really interesting to me. Like, theory around anarchism is interesting because when you have giant corporations, for example, one of our problems now is that you have the government buying information from private corporations that it would not be allowed to gather itself. And we've gotten to the point where these super companies operate with very little scrutiny from society or from legislators or regulators, and they work together with government. So like, for example, in many countries where they've had protests over the past decade, especially since the, uh, the Arab Spring protests, if they want to shut down the internet, they just make the companies shut down the internet. So it's not like having these companies run the internet is making it less subject to censorship. You know, just look at right. China, right? And so I think the, you know, it's like, like mesh internet, having a lot of smaller ISPs. Like I worked for an ISP that's run by a very radical CEO in the Bay Area. And 
would be, I think, would pitch a big fight if he was told to turn off his ISP. But, you know, AT&T, Comcast, you know, they love cooperating with the government to do bad Compliance things. is cheaper. I mean, it's yes. asserting that it's right. <laughs> I mean, ultimately it is, right? Like I've done that kind of work and ultimately it's right. easier to take the quick eat hard cleaver on it when you're like, okay, great. We just don't do any of that. Yeah. If all titties are banned, I don't face porn problems, you know? Exactly. Like, and I think ultimately, you know, this does a really good job of illustrating sort of an essential misunderstanding I think a lot of people have about like society, TM, 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 TM. Uh, and also, I think a flaw in the current sort of electoral approach we have towards these kinds of problems, right? Um, and so these are two separate sides of people misunderstanding what I think is one system, and I'll get to both of them. But the first component of it is most people do not think of corporations as states unto themselves, and they should. Mm. We should no longer, in the current era where location has become functionally irrelevant uh, in terms of, you know, political access in terms of where we're getting our money from, right? So many people are doing this online, where we're buying goods. So many people are doing this online. So much of our lives have moved into this virtual space that it is no longer, I think, useful to really conceive of our arrangements and alignments as being strictly physically based, right? Like our interests are not solely aligned by location as they used to be. Also, I think it's important to consider how much of our time these corporations own and how much of our society these corporations own. And so, you know, Adriel, you were talking about the ways that the private and public sector feed into each other. Uh, and there's more to be said about that, right, in terms of sort of the revolving door between the public and private sector and NGOs and elected and appointed officials. And also in terms of the way you were saying where private companies will do things that the government can't get away with, not just in terms of data, but also in terms of war, right? And like having private mercenaries and private contractors managing these things are themselves atrocious because there's not as much of a paper trail. And I, I think people conceive of the private and public sector as these two discrete things, but really they are the same. They are human beings forming hierarchies and making decisions which are then fed down that have material and social consequences for the people within that system. And that is just built into bureaucracy as such. So that's sort of the the first side of the problem. That's like, I guess, the economical side of the problem. But then the other side of this is also in thinking that these sorts of problems can be successfully managed with legislation or with a legislative process. And I think that actually is the same sort of bureaucratic top-down logic that does not address or solve the problem itself, right? Which is that we need to, on a social level, on an interpersonal level, and on an individual level, start re-engaging people with these processes. And the only way to do that is to go person by person and educate. There are ways we can use policy to make that easier, of course, but even getting those policies passed is itself a social problem. And so I think we've kind of turned sort of a teleology into a tautology here. You know, like people are thinking of elections as the end and not a means to an end, both of which I think are sort of interesting topics that relate to these larger questions of truth and control and power. You know, there is no unified truth. There is only the extent to which people have been persuaded to agree on certain things as truth. And like the entire advent of like rationalism and mathematics and empiricism were because people could not agree on what truth was. And so they just 
decided like, okay, math, we can agree on math and went from there. But it doesn't really address that sort of inherent social problem of persuading people to believe math is real in the first place. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that one of the, the first thing that comes to mind on that is whether money is real, right? You have this fiction that we all agree on that a dollar is worth something. And there are arguments about, you know, what is it? Is it used to be backed by gold? And then now it's backed. Some people will say it's backed by the U.S. military. And that's why it's worth right. something. It's the it, petrodollar. Yeah. Right, the petrodollar. And then you have this modern monetary theory that talks about that like money as an instrument that is much more malleable in terms of what the society wants to do. And not that you like, for example, that you don't necessarily have to bring in more tax revenue to spend more money. Uh, and I'm not an expert on modern monetary theory, but I... Well, it's ultimately that it's not a good in itself. It is a, it is a thing that is useful to us to ha- for us to have so we can do exchanges more quickly. That's it. And like you can acknowledge yes. that and it doesn't have an absolute. Any and we value. ultimately we absolutely it's clear that money is a fiction and you can see that like with what's going on with crypto. No, 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 uh, no, no. That's all earned. Those people are doing work that somehow it, it matters and it exists. No, I'm sorry. No, you're just idling. I'm, right. I'm sorry. I forgot. It's a styro- <laughs> Labor is real. It's Labor styro- is real. I'm sorry. Money it's a styrofoam is- furnace. <laughs> my fault. I- Labor <laughs> is real. Time is real. Bedtime is real. Every Everything else is some shit we've agreed on. I like that. I like that. But um, also, Rachel, I think that my take on like talking about elections as being like, you know, the beginning, not the end of things. Like think people think that they're participating in democracy by electing people. I really believe that we need a direct democracy or we need local democracies. We need the much higher levels of participation. Yeah. Hear me out on this. Yeah. Sortition. <laughs> I'm about to make Paul melt because I'm sure Paul hates it. Sortition is literally just like the drawing of lots. It's randomly selecting your electoral body from the population, which is what I actually think is the best solution. I don't actually. I worked with someone who really believed in that. Like juries, like a jury. Uh, Yeah, yeah. But also like just from a statistical standpoint, from probability and statistics standpoint, we are much better off randomly selecting people. (laughs) If we want to accurately reflect what people want, it's a better move. Well, it's harder harder for the corporations to influence them as well. Well, exactly. I don't get to cut out the entirety of Harvard Business School for the most part. (laughs) And that is why people have such a reflexive knee-jerk revulsion to this idea is because they don't trust other people. And that's the problem. I mean, I I think I mean, and I'm I don't trust anybody because we're coming out of the thing, and everyone's demonstrated their complete lack of trustworthiness in a lot of regards. That being said, yeah, wow, uh, any idiot is almost always better this time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm going to push back on that a little bit, Paul, because uh, I my knee jerk reaction is exactly like what you described, Rachel. But thinking about it, like what did we see at the beginning of the pandemic? Is like yes, we saw a lot of these people that were all over the news protesting because they couldn't get their hair done or their nails done or whatever. But we also saw just massive mobilization of mutual yes. aid and in communities. We saw a lot of people reaching out to take care of each other. People like really reevaluating their priorities. I think my experience is. Is that when you put human beings in a, a difficult situation, my experience has been that most people will rise to the occasion. And I think 
that, you know, as long as we had mechanisms in place so that people couldn't be, you know, <laughs> weren't in office for too long and couldn't do too much damage if they were problematic and it was easier to remove them, that I would be interested in yeah. trying something like that, at least on a local level, for sure. Because, yeah, oh my God, well, local elections are a total nightmare because they're exactly because of this reason, because it doesn't take much money at all to buy a local office. And if you're a billionaire and you've got money to throw around like pocket lint, it's so easy to just like buy up whole state legislatures the way the, the Koch brothers and some of the others have. Exactly. The leading, leading candidate for California governor in the recall is uh, is rich, like land developer, you know, real estate money, which is how most people get rich in this society, mm-hmm. either that or exploitation of labor. And okay, look, so it made it very difficult to financialize anything besides real estate once they did the Patriot Act and changed a lot of the way money laundering rules worked. This is a different, more annoying conversation. Sorry. I'm with you, though, right? Because there's like a whole thing to be said about specifically the Trump real estate empire existing to launch wander Russian money. This isn't even like bar out their conspiracy theories that this is stuff that's like well documented. There's some really suspicious stuff going on there and it happened as a direct consequence of attempts to legislate other things. I mean, ultimately, let's get real. Landlords want back in charge. Especially, of course particularly they California. Do. Adriel, who, like, yeah, tell us about your, uh, I guess, arch nemesis. Well, I, I don't, I mean, so the interesting thing is I'm not running in the recall because basically it, it's a circus. This guy, to get airtime, I mean, he's polling better than any of the other challengers in the recall, but to get airtime, he appeared uh, with a large bear, like a circus type animal. Honestly, I stand. Yeah. Yeah, multiple times, multiple times, yeah, yeah, and, uh, you know, and then complained that the bear got all the attention, but that was definitely, put the bear in his commercials, all of that. Listen, this is a man who understands the spectacle. Uh, well, what's funny is they, uh, I mean, it's always a consultant, right? Because they hired the person who did the demon sheep ad uh, for Carly Fiorina when she ran oh, against yes. Barbara Boxer. Yeah. And it, it is wild how much, you know, $20 million in advertising and a bear can get you. Yeah, absolutely. And jokes aside, I don't actually think this is a good thing. I mean, I like the aesthetic, but I don't like the people using it, right? Yeah. Maybe I let me see if I can do the the like 90 second version of how I got into the race because it, it's it like wraps up that everyone lies on Facebook. So Facebook made a rule that they were going to they made it public that they were going to exempt politicians from the fact checking program that they're running when their politicians were running organic or ads. And people were upset about this. Elizabeth Warren did like a stunt about it. And AOC in a hearing about Libra back to cryptocurrency, Facebook's proposed cryptocurrency, she she asked Mark Zuckerberg about whether she could make lies in ads about her political opponents. And she said, what if I said that like one of my opponents was a supporter of the Green New Deal? And Zuckerberg basically hemmed and hawed and pretty much said basically yes. And at that point, I was like, oh my God, we have a team of video editors and we have a pack, let's do this ad. And like within about 48 hours, we had published an ad on Facebook advertising that Lindsey Graham endorses the Green New Deal. And it looked like real audio of him, you know, real video. It had a picture of him like embracing Ocasio-Cortez. It was actually Bernie and we just swapped the, the head. And Facebook, as soon as, and all the journalists were waiting for this because AOC had painted this scenario and they're like, oh my God, like here's someone did it. And let's, you know, what's Facebook going to say? Well, Facebook killed our ad. They said, you're a political action committee, not a candidate or a political party. And we're still going to fact check you. And then we tried to rerun it under Mike Gravel's presidential campaign, but they said, one, he's already dropped out. And so you can't run it. And two, okay, they, they have said, got you there. 
But <laughs> and two, they said, uh, you know, if an ad has already been fact checked, you can never run it again. And then I said, well, fuck this. I'm running for California governor. And so I filed to run for California governor. And then I said, I'm just going to run as many false ads as we can. And I'm going to run them to hurt Trump and the GOP because they're the ones who are taking advantage of this loophole. And that yes. went like super, super viral. And I was like on CNN like three times in one week. But it was wild because it was like super viral for a few days and then as soon as it was like I was in the chair to be on MSNBC and they were like oh we cut to something else you know and that's when you know your your stories run out of steam but we continued to do a handful of ads because Facebook said we're gonna still fact check Adriel Hampton for governor ads because he said he's going to lie and that also created a firestorm because even like in the UK where they were having elections they were like wait a minute so you're gonna like go after the guy who said he's doing this to expose you but you're not gonna go after anyone else and that was their kind of official position well and i mean let's back up you did say you were going to run for governor of california which is basically i am going to lie that's already but we admittedly we pretend that's not yeah, how it god works. forbid somebody run an honest campaign for i'm money. really running for governor to expose these fucking companies and that's what they want you know the the mainstream media can't write that story because i didn't give $20 million in advertising, you know, to some consultants. Well, I mean, you're the state. If they want to be in Cupertino and so like, if they want to be there, that's in California. Exactly. Yeah. And and the thing is, is that when they say that uh, you can't raise taxes on the rich in California because they'll leave, it's not true at all because their real estate will stay. Their office buildings, their Malibu beachside homes, and right. we will use those for the people. And those are much more valuable than the rich people themselves. Also, their rich Hollywood friends do still live there and they'll want to hang out with them. And they'll want to hang out with them. Yeah, and I'll just close the borders to anyone who flees. Well, and also nobody's going to give up a fucking beach house in Malibu. No one's going to do that. That's like yeah, paradise. They'll get taxed more. They will get taxed more. Yeah, you would live in paradise. Yeah. They're going to leave that to go live in fucking Iowa? No, no one's going to do that. Get out of here. <laughs> So just to, the, to cap it, we ran, I think, three or four more ads. I, I haven't listed them all in a while, but we got away with an ad. And we and the whole thing was to get press. If we weren't getting press, it wasn't worth doing it, right? Because we weren't trying to spend a lot of money and influence the election. We were trying to expose. But we did one that showed that Sean Hannity was replacing Mike Pence on the ticket for VP. We did another one that showed Mitch McConnell endorsing the impeachment of Donald Trump using footage from the Clinton impeachment. That one was very convincing and clever. And then we ran billboards that showed Trump and Mark Zuckerberg as Trump Zuckerberg 2020. We did that digital billboards in five or six states before we kind of stopped getting media covers. That was like the last big hurrah. Let it be known, the only thing I love more than clowning is pettiness. Uh, so this is for <laughs> me the both. perfect campaign. We did both. Yeah. 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 Extremely yeah. happy with this campaign. Enthusiastic endorsement. Uh, if you're in California you. and listening to this podcast, I don't know why, but do vote for Adriel. Thank you. <laughs> I'm curious, in the ads that you've run, have you like seen them gain any traction, like people believing the disinformation you've been putting out? Yeah, we, we targeted them mostly to reporters because we wanted the reporters to see them in the wild. And we also, for the most part, did not want to try to influence anything except exposure of Facebook. But we did see people comment and argue like they were true and whether or not they were true. And that just shows you that like the problem is that political advertising is so full of false accusations that like even something totally bizarre, instead of people just saying, this is stupid, they would argue about it, you know? Like, I can't believe this. <laughs> you know, like.
Well, I mean, it speaks to evidently a scientific truth, right? Like that we do believe the lie, even in light of the fact check, which is why this doesn't work, right? At this point, I think we have to ask the obvious question here, which is, Adriel, are you a Section 31 plant? You don't have to answer that. <laughs> I am not familiar with Section 31. You have to answer that. Oh! oh. Yeah, actually, that's oh. not how entrapment works, Paul. You do have to answer that. Uh, so Section 31 <laughs> is the uh, is the deep state for Starfleet, ultimately. Like, it's, it's the, the NSA. Yeah. Yeah, see, it's the NSA slash CIA. We do all yeah. the bad things, so you don't have to worry about it, Starfleet. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not, and I've. Been, I mean, yeah. So this is the uh, this is the future. Are you, are you CIA? And then like you can answer however you want. No, the truth is that I'm just like a poor white kid from the country who got well enough educated and learned enough technology that like the elites now have to listen to me. I mean, that's basically what we did with the the fake oh, yeah. ads. It's like it's like how do you make like CNN listen to you? And I got on CNN and I said, uh, you know, these guys they're lying all the time it's not just like blatant lies it's things like when trump says sign up for this contest and you can win dinner with me when i'm in your state and it never those dinners never happen and they then take yeah. that information and use it to get you know every last dollar that some senior has by manipulating them they literally teach push polling in like poli sci classes like not, this is yeah, not... it's not, it is it is a horrible corrupt industry and the other thing is they say all the time that democrats are socialists and i said on cnn international i'm a socialist the democrats are not and that's that's my favorite clip from the whole campaign i just have a two second clip that i just post all the well time well done sir well done yeah. All right, so let's let's bring us back to Star Wars. Or, no, I'm sorry. Well, Ren, <laughs> cut that. Let's not. Ren, cut all of that. Um, let's get back to Star. Let's sort of bring it back to Star Trek. So, just, I mean, but like ultimately, so what are we talking about here? I mean, like the Roddenberry didn't really anticipate this complete breakdown of any discourse or just sort of a discursive sphere or any of any of that space, right? Like the idea that yeah, yeah, eventually, if you sh enough smart people get together and write enough paper you'll have a thing and you're like okay but like we see that you can spend decades just pushing back on that and sort of destroying consensus with a two percent batch of well-funded petroleum studies or just not telling people there was asbestos in the baby powder for 60 years and so on and so on right like our ability to manipulate the truth to fit ultimately economic ends is the problem still capitalism and pro yes i know the answer is probably yes but like is there a like yeah like how we could... Actually, the problem's All not right. capitalism. All right. Well, okay. I but like, if our priorities, well, I mean, like, so to flesh that argument out, the priorities being to advance personal interests will compromise my ability to tell you the truth because my fuck ups are gonna be the con the destruction of my world in theory right, right? right like that's what is at stake in terms of this hiding information it's why colonial won't give the government any of its cybersecurity logs because we already have the audit that says they should never have let this happen in the first place and they knew it could so certainly yeah. telling the government how easy it was is not going to make their lives better but i would like this to not happen well, and in fact they super deserve it because they're evil yeah no absolutely <laughs> fuck the land like they deserve it but if I need them to live, yeah. Like right, if they right, right. So like I, I think I'm gonna pick, I'm gonna say like the 60s as like the the sort of peak of 
public intellectualism and science being at the helm, right? Which incidentally is when Star Trek happened, right? And I say that for like human history as such. I think that is the most scientifically productive we have ever been. And also I think it was aberrant. I do not think human beings tend to be rational actually. And I think that we have this sort of fetishization of this idea of the rational man, you know, who is above the beasts because he can do math or whatever shit. But the truth of it is we are shit flinging monkeys who are at best, one bad day away from completely losing touch with reality. And in fact, there has never been a truth. And even when they were doing all the scientific shit, right? Like there wasn't a truth then. They were still bullshitting. They were still faking results. It is intrinsic to human nature to lie not only to each other, but to ourselves most of all. And so like when we start talking about truth, I don't know that it's even really useful to think of this as a problem with truth. I think of it as a problem with negotiations. You know, it is the extent to which we can not just share information with people, but get them to believe it. And I think that truth, right, truth is the synthesis between accurate information and belief, right? But you have to get people to believe it for it to work, for it to be truth to them, right? For it to meaningfully impact their behavior. They have to believe it. It has to be their truth, regardless of what's actually true. That's that's a really interesting point, Rachel, because if you think about it, like the, the concept of Star Trek is built on this assumption that if we have this society where we have access to all the information, you know, w- which we do currently as the internet, but in, in the Star Trek universe, it's the computer, it's the, the various databases, the Bajoran database, the Federation database, like all, all these different places where they can recall information to look up facts and, you know, whatever information is needed. Everything that happens in all those plots is, is predicated on the belief that people will accept that the information that is in that database is true. But what you're saying, I think, is 100% correct, because we, we have that right now. We currently have access to all of the knowledge of humankind, and we got people out there following QAnon. And it's, it's, it's just, it's bananas to think that just having access to information will automatically um, make us more rational or more inclined to seek truth and common understanding. Yeah, actually, um, I want to jump on here. Uh, Paul, I want to return kind of to the premise of this, in fact. I'm not certain that Star Trek is based on kind of a one truth premise at all. Um, well, I mean, let's get let's get back to things work, right? Like there are deci- the, there is a scientific reality that's being manipulated, right? There are materials. There that are exist, also right? sexual ghosts. Sure, but they are like like accepting that they're at some level. The word truth at this point does also have to mean like we're not doing the four humors because some people felt better. Even the kind of truth you're talking about, which I am assuming in your case is like mathematical truth, right? Like well, I mean, or- biological truth. Or scientific yeah, truth, or I'm historical saying, truth, or personal is truth. At the most fundamental level, even our most certain biological certainties are not guaranteed to keep happening. Atoms are made all kinds of fucky all the time. Like, at the most fundamental levels of reality, there's a shitload of variability. The only thing we have ever been able to do as a species is track common patterns is to say this is what happens usually or this is what we have seen happen or this works right but like at the at the most fundamental level of the scientific method even within physics even within the most mathematically rigid empirical you know science that we have they still don't say they have 100% truth because they don't because nothing is that consistent and even then everything could just as well be only locally temporally true like you cannot remove the subject from the person 
perspective of truth. So that's that's uh anyway. Amy, you had a thought to finish. You were talking about I think pussy ghosts, which I'm here for. Well, well, yeah, Adriel, maybe you can break the tie here. Um, I'm assuming Corey is supporting Paul to make it have a tie. Corey is probably, yes, thankful that they know the names of all of the organs, if not what all of them do. <laughs> Adriel, what's your take? Does Star Trek have a one truth? I don't think so, because the Federation's truth is different than the Romulan truth, right? I'm a TNG fan, and I was thinking oh, about yes. it, right? So that's the problem. They have the same thing. They have, like, Democrats and Republicans. It's just a bigger scale. Yeah, well, and I think bringing up Romulans is a really good point because they have like a lying based culture, like the entire foundation of Romulan culture is subterfuge. I also think like Klingons might be interesting to sort of bring into the fray here, like their idea of truth is really just power. Like they don't really care about any other kinds of truth beyond <laughs> also Republicans winning. Yeah, yeah, right, right, exactly. I mean, Republicans are amazing in this scenario because you would say that like they would have been the truth-based party in terms of the, like, it's all about morals, it's about God, you know, it's like, and then when it comes down to it, they're like, hey, Trump, craven guy, but gets us the wins. And they're like, oh, you know, his buddies, horrible guys, but they're his buddies, so we're going to be cool with them. So they, it goes right out the window when it comes yeah. to, to exercising power. But their relationship to God isn't metaphysical, it's deontological. You know, like the Christian God understood by the reactionary right in the United States conceives of the ethical relationship as one of gratitude and deference to your betters. And that is not about truth. That is about behaving properly. That's a good point. Good point. So like that to think of them as a as a group of people that have any sort of abstract ideology beyond obedience, I think is to fundamentally misunderstand their entire culture. I do have to object, though, to the comparison of Klingons to Republicans, while I appreciate the power dynamic of it. Uh, it's clear that Republicans have no honor and therefore they have no place in Klingon culture. There we go. Ah, that's where Extremely we're wrong, true. gang. Hang on, team. Welcome to the no true Klingons world, where Worf oh, is the, yes. only per the only Klingon that actually buys any of that honor shit. Like he's the only because he was raised reading it. He did not live any of it. Meanwhile, on Kronos, they've lost the way of Kalos all day in TNG. Right, Galron is throwing his best soldiers into a hole for spite. At the end of that, that's why Worf kills him. Like the world of the Klingons has abandoned honor and sort of basically become the political machinations that they claim to despise. They are the Republicans. Sorry. Hear me out on this. You know who Worf actually is in our political landscape? The Lincoln Project? Uh, is Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> <laughs> the Lincoln Project. Well, you know, um, Dang. both Republicans and Klingons remind me of nothing so much as ancient Persians as caricatured by the Greeks. Yes, I mean, very much so, yes. Wait till you see the TOS Klingons if you think it's, it's anti-Islamic now. <laughs> well, no, you, you got these folks that are like, uh, we don't lie. So then when a coup happens, it's like, well, I never lie. So this must have happened the way I said it did, you know? And it's right. a very, like, critical, you know, seen through an enemy character or character's courage. Yeah, y'all know what I mean. Anyway, but it's present in the Republican Party, this projection of lying by liars, you know? And oh, it's yeah. It's definitely present in the Klingons, too. 
Well, and if you only exist to, you know, serve your betters and never question them, like those sorts of things happen much more easily. You just sort of believe what you're told and that's fine. You don't need more than that, you know? And honestly, you also don't have to, as an extension of that, really develop like an abstract understanding of yourself, you know, as as an agent or the other even as an agent. There is only the one and everyone else in service to the one, you know? So what you're saying, Amy, is that Martok is a never Gowron Klingon. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I love all of the Klingons. I love every single Klingon Except without the exception. Duras sisters. <laughs> I love them too. Those catty bitches have great titty windows. I'm here for it. <laughs> it's a little cringe for me. Those yeah. uh, Duras sisters, like the TNG episodes, little cringe. I fully embrace the hair metal sexist bullshit. Anyway, we should probably not exclusively talk about, you know, titty windows this episode. But I mean, God, we've talked about so many really cool things already. So actually, so actually here, Adriel, I want to throw this one at you because uh, you posited earlier that California is the Star Trek of the United States. I contest that this is maybe really not true or seriously up for grabs in the form of Prop 22. And I mean, I appreciate that this is like a, a the question of, oh, wait, is California actually, uh, California is not actually leftist. We know state in the union is, but can you talk a little about sort of the difficulties in trying to overcome those guys? I mean, like they're pushing uh, hard on also, this, right? I like, want to slightly interject here and I want to put it on a spectrum instead of a strict relationship. I want to put it between California is the Star Trek of states and Star Trek is West Wing for communists. Discuss. <laughs> that complicates it a lot. I was going to stay grounded in California politics. Um, Let's stick with the real so world me, if that's going to make your life there, easier. And but you, yeah. you can take it into the because I, I also I like that framing as well. Westworld for communists. Um, uh, West Wing for communists. West, oh, West Wing. I thought Westworld for communists. West Wing for communists. That's probably true too. So California is its reputation for being crazy liberal is like made up. Like none of us would say that Nancy Pelosi is a leftist, right? And she, you know, is like famous for saying uh, we're capitalists. That's just how it is. And so no one, you know, would mistake her for actually being a socialist. And it's also true that California out of 120 state legislators, uh, there's only one open socialist that I know of. There may be others who are friendly with the DSA, but I don't think any of them are, are members. And that's new. There were no socialists until 2021. So it, it is on a spectrum of how right-wing most of this country is, how right-wing our federal government is. And Paul, to the point about Prop 22, the difficulty there is like, if companies spend $100, $200 million, they can do anything. That's the problem about having electoral systems that rely on paid advertising to function. So the thing about California, though, is people are just more liberal here because they came here to escape other states. You know, they kept going west, 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 west till they hit the ocean. And then they just became more and more crazy. And that's how we got Hollywood and Silicon Valley. I think that it has a lot of potential. I think it has potential in the sense that you could like have single payer healthcare in California. You could have early versions of library socialism in California, but you have to get away from like having a governor that was, uh, you know, successful in business because his business partner was Gordon fucking Getty, right? Which is like 
started to fade from profiles of Gavin Newsom, but it's not that this is like an independently successful businessman who then became a governor. Which again, that narrative is also stupid. Let's stop doing that. I mean, you ran a business does not mean you can run fucking anything, actually. Have you never been to a job? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Very, very true. Yeah, so I think California has a long way to go. And I'm really, you know, kind of joking by saying it's a Star Trek state. And maybe New York would argue we both have bad governors. I probably New York's is worse. I think that case is pretty strong. Hey, look, you know what? Here in Georgia, I'm pretty set on judging who's got a bad governor. And you could do worse, (laughs) but y'all are both doing pretty bad. I would say New York is probably winning the battle for worst governor right now, though. They also have a lot more socialists, though, in government than California does. So that's that's, that's kind of the, you know. And a lot more like institutional structures that can sort of wrestle and push back on that power rather than, well, I mean, I'm not sure exactly how California or is organized, but there's a lot of nothing, too, in Yeah, Silicon Valley became a power center because there wasn't a lot pushing back. And you can see that like Prop 22 passed because we don't have strong enough labor organizing and uh, affiliation with labor. California is a little bit of the 1849, pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. And also it is a genocidal state like most of the United States where they, you know, slaughtered Native Americans because they wanted the land and the gold. So... Yeah, you know, from the makers of slaughtered Native Americans for land and gold and also internment camps for Japanese people. Like, it's not like uh, any of us really have a an untarnished history as states, though. You know, I mean, like, I'm from Georgia. We did the fucking Trail of Tears, like. Yeah, and I mean, and Star Trek itself comes from the foundation of, of the United States, right? And advancing yeah. and, and Earth, which is a very violent place. Although in the sense that we like Star Trek because it is a utopian vision, you know, you have like, if you read the Dalai Lama's tweets, he will talk about how we have become a much less violent society globally over time and continue to do so. But we still do yeah. very, very horrible stuff, as we can tell from the Daily News. Well, and that's a question of like, yeah, distribution and what kind. Like, I imagine fewer people are stabbing each other, but more bombs fall out of the sky. It's a very, it's it's exciting. And I mean, yeah, we talk about this a lot that ultimately Roddenberry's vision is, what if there was a war so bad, nobody did war anymore? And we can see again, that's not true. That's not a reality. Like, that's it just won't be how we evolve, right? Like, that's not what will incite this change. And that's sort of the Bell Riot's assumption goes the same way. Yeah. Well, and I think this sort of... So right now, there's a lot of stuff going on about Israel and Palestine. And I swear, I'm not about to give you a Zionist take because I'm not a monster. However, one of the things I noticed, right, is there has been this sort of push about what it means to be Jewish. And so in in being a Jewish person, I've been thinking a lot about like, okay, how do I articulate to people that anti-Semitism is true and that you can't just ask every Jew what our take on Palestine is because it's exhausting and it's otherizing and all these other reasons, right? And a thing that occurred to me, because I was like mapping out this argument in my head as I was sort of sharing it with people. One of the facts about anti-Semitism is that Jewish people are recipients of the most hate crimes in the country of any like marginalized group. However, hate crimes are measured by police and nobody's tracking police brutality against black people, right? And so it, it comes to mind now because it's this perfect distillation of the ways that we can use 
use statistics and numbers and these sort of ostensibly objective things to really obfuscate the violence of the state itself and also how that violence inherent to the system is dependent on whether it's even being measured in the first place. And, you know, we're talking about, like, the states themselves sort of creating these larger, you know, bodies of truth or representation. But at the end of the day, like, it's anytime we sort of imbue a body with that power, I think that risk is there. And so even when we look at the Federation, you know, in the abstract, right, even sort of the stories we tell about these things, there is still this sort of continual problem of obfuscating the truth of the Federation's imperialism, right? And I think that is sort of baked into our culture in the United States generally, right? Like we don't want to talk about those truths and we don't want to talk about the fact that power itself has always kind of determined truth and to a certain extent probably always will. And I don't really know what I'm getting at here except for that like these things are all always interrelated. You know, these are not like individual unique problems. These are facets of the system of human beings interacting with other human beings through very fallible lenses. Well, Rachel, um, I'm I'm starting to get excited about what you're talking about there, the the sort of relationship with truth and power. And maybe, Adriel, you could comment, because the Federation in Star Trek does project, like, hard and soft power like a mofo. And how does that... Yeah, yeah, it's a good way of putting it. Thank you. What do you see as the similarities and differences, you know, modern and in that projected imaginary future that starts in, like, two years, apparently? <laughs> Yeah, I got it started since two years. I mean, these are, this is like the most difficult question, right? And as leftists, there's a lot of argument about do you have state power versus, you know, totally decentralized, more communities that uh, are self governing. And it's also just like in the Middle East conflict, now we have the vaccine conflict, right? And it's been accelerated and it's exploded. California has had a problem with uh, anti vax organizing and even physical assaults on legislators for a a long time now. And all of a sudden, now everyone's supposed to get vaccinated with a new vaccine. And it's just like a heyday for people who want to uh, like undermine the state authority and the local authority that's saying you should do this, or you need to do this. Or if you don't do this, you can't go into a building without a mask, right? Things like that. There's no like, super ready apparent answer for how a state should use hard and soft power. I thought that the biggest mistake California made in the last year was not having hard lockdowns uh, immediately upon the coronavirus starting to spread here. You know, in the United States, we didn't shut down air travel. It's just kind of, uh, to me, like totally insane the way we reacted to the spread of the pandemic. I would have used the power of the governor's office to enforce short-term hard lockdown, use the National Guard to distribute food, right? People would have freaked out some people about that. We would have lost a lot less people, in my opinion, based on everything that I've read. And that's kind of like, you know, that's the spectrum. We had soft lockdowns that included closing down uh, all kinds of businesses that included, you know, asking people to stay home for more than a year versus like the temporary uh, inconvenience of really not being able to leave your home outside of an emergency situation, for example. I've got to wonder if the National Guard is out there passing out food and everybody's on a hard lockdown, would that have not signaled to more people that this is something to be taken seriously? Like, would it, would it have had a multiplier yes. effect there? I think so. I think so. Yeah. The whole fundamental premise of the recall in California, which is coming up later this year, is that it's Republicans who wanted no lockdowns. And I'm saying, you know, they should have been done right in a way that would actually stop the pandemic in our state borders rather than prolonging. Uh, suffering and and not taking it as seriously as it actually was when you look at the amount of people who were killed by the virus. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, I had direct experience with this because um, I, you know, we talked about this in a previous episode that uh, that you weren't on, Adriel, but I, I'm overseas right now. And the country that I'm in did exactly what you're talking about. They did a hard lockdown. Like they actually built a fence around the neighborhood that I live in. We had military checkpoints and like we were not allowed to leave our area for four months. Wow. Four months. Yeah, they did do grocery deliveries. I mean, it wasn't gourmet food, but they did. They were bringing in groceries. You know, I also had friends like that were not in the lockdown areas that would go buy groceries for me and hand them to me over a fence. So it was a wild time for sure. But it definitely sent the signal that this is very serious. Also, the culture in the area where I am right now is like the social culture is more accepting of of authority. Um, And so that's a factor as well. Yeah, and I want to latch onto that and swing on it like a hinge because the word you just said there is extremely important. The culture there is different. And I think, you know, what is culture but a series of exchanges and conversations, right? The problem with the sort of state decentralization dichotomy and also the sort of problem I was talking about earlier when I was really struggling to figure out what my fucking point was, each one of these philosophies is abdicating responsibility for actually continually negotiating power. Like, you cannot write the perfect button bylaws or the perfect constitution and end up with a system where you don't have massive fuck-ups if you do not have that continual ongoing negotiation with each other all of the time. And I think if I can get people to sort of take away a single thing from listening to this episode, it would be that, right? Like there is no getting out of just directly talking to people about things and negotiating what truth is. It's the legitimization of the hard or soft power, I think, that is the crux of this. And that's why I like a more direct democracy where everyone gets a say, everyone gets a vote, where representatives aren't being elected with huge sums of money and, you know, influence from concentrated power like corporate donations. And I think that the faster you can get also, you know, just simple things like um, proportional voting, direct democracy, like internet voting, more deliberation by regular folks, like even the idea of, of pulling people out of a hat at random and giving them the information to make choices on behalf of their community. All of those are probably better than what we have now in just about, you know, in I think every state, I, I think there's our voting systems are, are not very representational. And so what happens is people don't have faith in the government. They don't feel like they're participating. They don't feel like it's legitimate. And then you can't exercise state power in a way that's seen as legitimate broadly. Legitimacy is a form of truth. Yes. Well, and also, I mean, in the absence of legitimacy and truth, you can always use violence, which is where we've ended up, right? That's cops. That's why the cops keep getting more and more money. In, in yes, the exactly. Stuff. Exactly. And it's why we have this giant imperialist military, right? It's why all of these things are enforced at the end of a literal no, gun. Why our government uh, approves weapons sales to other countries. Yeah. Speaking of Israel, right? In Saudi Arabia, I mean, it's it's you know, it's like, but, mm-hmm. but how did we get in a situation well, where we approve it? Of... Like, oh yeah, you can you know, this, you, yeah, you can sell weapons to this country, not to this one. You can sell double to this one. We'll subsidize your sales to this one. That's pretty nuts. Right, right. Well, and that's the thing, right? That's sort of the the sort of difference between representation and autocracy in its core, right? Is whether you're persuading people to agree on a truth or you're just beating people into behaving the way you want them to. And if and when you abdicate that responsibility of negotiation with the other people in your community, violence is what happens. It's what happens every time. Because once you stop negotiating, you stop listening to each other, you stop thinking there's any kind of good faith on the other side, and you 
see the other as an enemy and it's unavoidable. So I think the point you're making about that legitimacy being necessary and needing to be rekindled is so crucial because that is the only way we're going to get back to a system of negotiation instead of a system of violence and force. Anyway, I know we're getting kind of close to the end here. Uh, Paul, you had a game for us to play, right? Of course I have. I've always got dumb bullshit for us to do. So this game is going to be is called Gimme Ghost or Dim because we started off talking about the Bell Riots. We're probably going to die doing the Bell Riots and we might as well uh, give it a best try. My body for the party, honestly. But to clarify for everyone here, uh, their gimme, ghosts, and dims are the sorts of varieties of person one can expect to find in a sanctuary city in 2024. Uh, a gimme is, of course, a useful member of society who needs help finding work and a place to live. A gimme, as in gimme work, gimme shelter, not the rock and roll record. Again, there is no licensed music in the Star Trek universe. Ultimately, the districts were supposed to provide employment services. We're bad at it. You've seen this before! Dims are, of course, people who have easily treatable or controllable uh, psychological ailments with medicines that are obviously well in hand and totally cheap, uh, but no one's treating them so they can't maintain themselves in society either. Uh, often a lot of untreated schizophrenia and various uh, other kinds like? of just, I have, I what wouldn't What kind of know. terrible society would produce that outcome, right? I wouldn't know how to describe that. Uh, meanwhile, a ghost is a term for the person who is who now lives in the sanctuary district but has not quite integrated well into the environment. Gangs that prey on their fellow prisoners. Because, I mean, like, you're in a shitty world, you do the shitty thing. They're basically hostile towards residents and just uh, gangs. You've heard of gangs. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about who we're going to be here. Are we ghosts? Are we gimmies? Are we dims? I'm probably a ghost or a dim. I'm going to be real with you because I, I, I'm just, like, sorry. I mean, I'm a dim now. In well, short run, yeah. Life, so. Let's assume that's true, but then, yeah, like, I would probably just, I'm tall. I would, I'm spooky looking. People would just throw wallets at me. Yeah, I mean, I'm already, like, marginally defective enough that I'm disabled, so. Knowing my own inclinations and behavior, I think I would probably be a gimme, but as the time wore on, I would find myself as more of a ghost. There are several reasons why I would be classified <laughs> among the insane. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, you know, I, this is, Dims are a prime podcast genre creator and player. Adriel, you're an otherwise productive and normal member of real society with what one might call even legitimate political aspirations. But let's take it all away <laughs> from you. Now what are you? <laughs> I don't know. I could see myself in any of these. I think that without the resources of that, of being a respectable member of society, I could end up as a dim for sure. And my particular tendencies could lead to me being a ghost. But I also like like being productive and don't like hurting other people. So in that sense, it could be a gimme. But I'm reading the, the wiki and it says that like you don't find shelter and you don't find job. So at that point, it seems like you would probably need to be a ghost. So I mean, yeah, ultimately that the problem with the dichotomy itself is like, oh, it ignores that that doesn't have that nothing. No one's doing anything for you. Yeah, I mean, I think the hard thing is, is like, I, I'm not into exploiting others, but I definitely can you be the gang that like is, you know, stealing something from the people that have it. Um, I could I could do that. Uh, you're you're in the sanctuary city. It's probably look reads a lot like uh, Escape from New York. I'm going right. to say. Right. Yeah. And that oh, well, I definitely identify with those folks. So. One thing they do have way worse off than the Escape from New York people is that 
To escape from New York, they know how to camp in a city. As we discussed in our opening episode, the Bell Riot scenes are very poorly set up based on even the most meager tent encampments that were definitely in Hollywood at the time they were right. Like somebody drove past a real tent encampment and said, yeah, that's not, that's not real. I'm just going to put the tent in the middle of the road. That's how we're doing this in the future. But with any luck, we won't have, we, with under your brave leadership, one praise, we will not have to suffer such deprivations. Well, the real thing, you know, is you can count out a candidate like for not having any money, but if no one runs to the left of Gavin Newsom, he gets to look at the right boogeyman the whole time. And if someone runs to the left, then like he has to talk about single payer healthcare, he has to talk about speeding up a transition to clean fuels, that those kinds of things. And this is what liberals hate, you know, is to actually have to be accountable to the left. And because my background is in media and, you know, kind of stunt making online for really like 20 years. Years, I hope to be able to do that. And I do really, um, I'm grateful for the chance to talk about some of this stuff and to just have some fun. Oh, we, we really appreciate you coming on. Where should people come look for your, your things? My Twitter account is Adriel Hampton. That's where I'm most active. But if folks want to read or contribute on a policy level, we actually have like 160 pages of policy that a volunteer who's uh, really good at this stuff wrote. And that's all on my website, which is uh, Adriel, the numeral four, California.com. Wait, did you just did you just say you produced 160 pages of policy document? Yep. Nothing you've said so far has convinced me more that you're a leftist than that. <laughs> Unfortunately, you're unelectable now because you know anything. I'm sorry. Uh, no, that's a middle. I don't know that much. I just have a no, but that's not, like sure, but that's like what we don't see. Like, oh, what do your oh, I have values. Like, okay, well, what the fuck are they? Like, well, that people should have access to things. Like, but what and how? <laughs> Yeah, we wrote that down. We wrote it down. Yeah. So as a gubernatorial candidate, are you willing to go on record with your opinion about boob windows? I think I'm for boob windows. Boob windows right. for all who want them. I think it's, yeah. it's a fair, this is a fair use for the for all who want them tag, and there are basically no other usages for it. <laughs> yeah, it's not to be used for healthcare. That's a definite, like, everybody gets it. <laughs> oh, no, I don't want any of that. I'm, I'll be healthy for, I'm, a, look at me, I'm a golden god. Do you plan on implementing any means testing for the, these boob windows? Um, means for boob windows or for healthcare? Well, I feel like you don't need a means test for a boob window because it's actually a reduction of thing. Like if you have a whole shirt. Uh, I'm against means testing in general. I think that universal benefits are good. Just like, you know, like I went to two public colleges and I think that was good. I was like really poor growing up and having access to that, uh, not just access, but like funding for that. I think college should be free. Like our platform is like, super, 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 super radical, but also talk specifically about the programs that already exist, like, and, you know, that you would do or the programs that don't exist that we would add. And then the how to pay for it is just that this is like the richest state in the richest country, like in history, and we will pay for it. And we will do modern monetary or we will tax the rich or we will house homeless people in their Malibu mansions if they want to leave. Oh, what if we just have a better society and that just happened? Oops. Oh, no. 
exactly. Well, so that's the weirdest thing is because like at the end of the day, I do think that if you can reach people with a message that like, we're just going to make everything better. Like that's literally our entire platform is no more poverty in California, no more suffering from lack of education or lack of healthcare. And it would work. The problem is no one's going to give us tens of millions of dollars to advertise it. So how do we get it out? And we'll do that through stunts. And we'll also make sure that Gavin Newsom has to move left because if you can increase the material condition of hundreds of thousands of people, that's like a really worthy goal. And you see that like through the pandemic with Biden winning the election and giving a lot of money to the blue states to do things, California is going to like house 90,000 homeless people. And that like that wasn't happening two years ago. And so these things can happen. And and uh, and that's more than half. So we can actually get to housing everyone in California. The things are doable and we need a society that doesn't have so many strings attached to the people who want to or excuse me, who are making those decisions, uh, mostly money related. Anything is possible if people work together on it. It's true. All we got to do is just agree on which thing we're trying to do. And of course, you know, that's the easiest <laughs> oh, part it? of the process. <laughs> but, good but, thing. Truly, yeah. good but truly and sincerely, you know, we can do basically anything we set our minds to as a species. We have broken physical barriers we thought were impossible, you know, and I think you are coming into it with the right attitude. And I'm very glad to see that you're not just coming into it with that attitude, but like really backing it up. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show, uh, Adriel. It was really, really great talking to you and love your philosophy. And I hope that uh, I hope hope the campaign goes well. So the lying to Facebook thing was just cool. It's just cool. (laughs) It is. It is. It is glorious. Like I knew that story already, but hearing it from you was just. It's funny because I talked to a reporter who wrote about that story for Reuters and actually helped it go viral because Reuters is, is syndicated so heavily. And I, I, I was asking like the mechanics of like, so will you ever write about something I'm doing again, et cetera, et cetera. And you start to learn, I think I talked to others as well, like when you have a viral moment that is really, really big, because I had like had what I thought were viral moments before that, but I'd never had one that were like BBC and is translating it into Somali, like, and you can see that on the internet, you know? And wow, it it's some people then just have to chase that, like, for the rest of their lives, trying to get that viral fame back. And that's why you see, like, celebrities running for office, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you know, in our current system, you have to be, you cannot be, like, an average normal person and do something like run for governor. You have to be kind of crazy. But the difference with me is that I do have, like, I'm crazy for the people. And, no, you said you were uh, a dim already. We heard you. We got it. <laughs> Hear me out on this. Uh, 100% of clowns are crazy. And also, you should run for office as a clown. 100% of the time, this is the only correct answer. You should run for office and you should use spectacle to your advantage by being right. a clown, which is inherently crazy. Getting people to laugh at you is crazy, but it right. works. I like it. Donald Trump rode that shit into being president oh and staging a coup, and all he had to do was look like a dumbass on TV a whole lot. A whole lot. <laughs> and I believe in you. Fight a dude in a bear suit. <laughs> <laughs> we are coming up on violating our temporal prime directive here, so uh, on behalf of everyone here at Gay Space Communism, I would like to quote the Sandia report and say to you, of course, this is not a place of honor. No highly esteemed deed is commemorated here. Nothing valued is here. What is here is dangerous and repulsive to us. This message is a warning about danger. Yeah, man. Yeah.